any doctor that works with our loved ones really is just seeing a snapshot in time, right? They don't live with them. They don't deal with them 24 hours a day. They don't see the deep compensation. They don't see the unusual behavior. They don't see the, if not self-harm, just kind of sabotaging their lives. So this function report is what is going to fill in the picture. Danny Page, JD, is going to tell us all about the adult function report today as part of part two of Help, I Don't Understand SSI, SSDI. What is an adult function report? And even if the applicant fills one out, a.k.a. our loved one, can we fill out a third-party observer report to fill in the gaps? And how do we do that? This topic and more on today's episode. Welcome to our podcast, Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches. From the place where schizophrenia and real life collide. East Coast, West Coast, Middle America. With Miriam Feldman, Mindy Greiling, and Randy Kay. Finally, a place to talk about the truth. Well, welcome to this episode. This is episode 70 of Schizophrenia, Three Moms in the Trenches. And we're so excited to bring back probably the most downloaded episode of our 70 episodes so far has been episode 50, which was called Help, I Don't Understand SSI, SSDI, with the wonderful Danny Page, who is a SOAR certified, SOAR standing for SSI, SSDI, Outreach, Access, and Recovery. She's a SOAR certified retired attorney, instructor on implicit bias in the space of disability. And the reaction and the thanks to that episode were through the roof. And so we wanted to bring Danny back for a part two for a small review of what happened in episode 50. But of course, that's still available for you to see. And we're going to talk about a lot more, including adult reporting, and we'll Find out what that is in a second, and there's a whole lot more coming. So thank you so much for asking for her to return. Before we do that, I just want to say hi to my cohorts, Mindy Greiling and Mimi Feldman. If you're watching on YouTube, it says Miriam, but Mimi is the nickname, and that's what we call you. We are three moms with three chronologically adult sons with schizophrenia. Who, who are that's at, a good phrasing. Thank you so much. Who are at various stages of uh, reclaiming their lives? Uh, uh, full disclosure: at the moment, my son is spiraling. Just one of those things. One of those things that is. I, I taught a NAMI family to family training over the weekend to train 13 new teachers. And if you don't know what that is, we have an episode on that or contact NAMI.org under education to find out about a free course you can take to educate yourself about various aspects of mental illness and communication and, and so forth. It's a, it's a wonderful course. I try to teach it at least once a year. We train new teachers, but anyway, we, you know, we were all talking and, we agreed that the roller coaster continues, but the at least the second time through the roller coaster, you have an idea of what might be coming. Like I know we're in a spiral and it's either going to go this way or that way. And we'll find out uh, all the facts aren't in yet. So that's where we are. I think Mindy's son's doing really well right now. Mimi, how's Nick? Status quo. Okay. You know, um, I'm, he's doing well. 
Okay. So that's- I want to comment though, Randy, on that second time around that you're in right now. Second. Yes. Or <laughs> sec- well, yes, whatever, <laughs> multiple, a repeat anyway. Yeah, um, It is a, you do know what's coming, but I think each time um, it takes a little more out of you because you do know what's coming. True, true. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's trauma again. And for him more than for me. I think he's kind of desperate right now. So we'll see what happens. I hope that uh, next time we have an episode, I can say, okay, we're back on track because that could happen as well. We just, this is what you do here. We live in the moment. We do the best we can. And the day I found out he was spiraling, I still kept my pedicure appointment because there was nothing I could do. And I had a half an hour of relief. So if you're a listener going through this as well, I'm sure you can understand that. There's times we just have to say, I've done all I can for the moment. Let's see what happens. And I'm going to take care of me and the rest of my family. So with that in mind, there's one more thing we wanted to mention. We are just excited to let you know, a lot of people have asked us if we can come to speak at their events. And we have done it individually And every time we go, people go, oh, where are the other two moms? So, you know, I think Mimi, you had people whispering in the elevator. Is that one of the three moms? So, (laughs) yep. So we, if you are interested in having all three of us on your panel for your event or to come speak to your local hospital about including family in the process of mental illness recovery, or if you want us to talk about stigma or any of the things that we talk about here on the podcast, we prefer to go in person, but uh, we'll also do Zoom, just tell our stories, put the human touch. We are available. And at the moment, our website is where our podcast is, but you can always contact me, Randy at randyk.com. That's spelled, you see how it's spelled, but if you're on YouTube, but otherwise it's R A N D Y E K A Y E. And we always, show it at the end of every episode and talk about it. So please contact me if you'd like the three of us to come and speak, because we would love to continue to spread the word. All right, let's bring on Danny. Danny, would you please, here you are, Danny Page, retired attorney, instructor on implicit bias in the space of disability. Hey, Danny, thank you so much for that last episode. We learned so much. And I know that our listeners and viewers did as well. And we've invited you back for a part two. Can you give us kind of a, I know you're going to do a a quick review, but what else are you going to talk about today? So I want to do a quick review about what the SSI-FSDI process is, the difference between the two programs and also the difference um, Social Security Administration and the other state participant in the SSA. And then the part that I'm kind of excited um, about sharing are, are twofold. I want to talk about what the adult function report looks like and how family members can get involved with it too, because I don't think SSA does a good job of letting people know that there is an avenue for families to get involved. And then finally, I want to give you some miscellaneous things so that while you're waiting to see what happens with your loved one's case or whether it's granted or not granted, it may be other um, avenues that you can pursue in support of your loved one. I think give us a breath too. I mean, I think as parents um, or siblings or any of that, it's exhausting. And so it's kind of a little bit more of a, 
a happy moment to discuss than something that keeps you in the trenches. <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to say, I have to say, Danny, I've got my notepad ready because oh, Randy's right. right. Your last episode, I learned more myself than any other episode that we have had. And this uh, adult function report uh-huh. that you're going to tell us about, I've never heard of that. And my son has been sick for 21 years. So Danny, you practice in Colorado mostly, but a lot of what you're going to share uh, can be either adapted or applied to the states that we're in. And yes. so uh, we are so excited. We'll do, we're we going to just give the stage to you. Okay. And if we have any questions, we might pipe in, but otherwise, Absolutely. go for it. And thank you so much. So now you need to advise me of something. Um, I just do the share screen, correct? For those yes, you, of you share, share the screen. It. Yep, there okay, you go. Okie dokie. Now, um, if, if you're listening in your car and you can't see Danny's screen, she's going to describe it as as yeah. best as possible. And, you know, we'll do our best. This might be something that if you wish, you can go back and say, okay, wait, you know, maybe I need to watch this one on YouTube. But I'm sure the audio version will will teach you a few things as well. So. The heart behind the iMom podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on iMom.com and when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. Um, I just want to explain one thing. The reason this is applicable in all states and D.C. is because it is a federal program. So the federal program really should be similar in each state. I think the one thing that is not similar is the disability determination, which I will explain in a real quick review. So the first slide that I've got up on a PowerPoint is some acronyms and form numbers that will be used so that you can refer back to them. I'm just going to go through it quickly. um, So those of you who are listening will have an idea. But I do also want to tell you that throughout the slideshow, I do give websites uh, that you can click on and um, find the information, but don't worry about that because the buzzwords are so common. If you put it into a Google search, you'll come up with the site anyhow. So do not be concerned that you don't have anywhere to write down the site. So I did an alphabetical order the acronyms and form numbers versus in the order that I'm going to talk about. So I'm just going to fly through it, really. Activities of daily living are called ADLs. Disability Determination Services is DDS. There are two function reports that once you have been approved financially for disability will come your way. Um, And that is to determine what kind of abilities are left despite the fact that you have a disability? Are you able to work or are your disabilities so strong that they limit that ability? The second one is a form, it's called a 3380. 
That's a third party adult function report. And that's the place that you get to actually participate in what is told to Social Security Administration. RFC stands for residual function capacity. And that's basically what I was just talking about. You know, whether you have a disability, you don't have a disability. What is left that allows you to participate fully in life? SGA is for substantial gainful activity. It talks about the amount of money you're able to earn despite your disability. Social Security Administration is the SSA. Social Security Disability Insurance is SSDI. And Supplemental Security Income is SSI. Yeah. So let me do a real quick overview of the SSA and disability programs. So there's two of them, Supplemental Security Income, um, which is SSI, and then also Social Security Disability Insurance. So what I want to say here, though, is we all know having schizophrenia or any other mental illness does not necessarily mean you're not able to participate in life, right? I mean, we've all heard of those hopeful stories, the hallmark outcomes, <laughs> um, <laughs> movies that say, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine. So there are some people who actually deal with their mental illness and are able to participate in life. So that's the reason a diagnosis alone is not enough. It has to be a diagnosis and the inability to perform enough work that can earn you $1,470 a month. So the two programs, SSI is basically a needs-based program, and really it's the largest welfare program that the United States participate in. And it has to do with those who have limited income, limited ability. Social Security Disability Insurance is an entitlement program that is really based on the fact that you have been able to work and have paid money through FICA into the system. And so now you're claiming your insurance. It's in many ways a friendlier program um, without quite as many um, hurdles to jump. But you do have to prove disability to you have it. certainly do, yes. So the Social Security Administration is the umbrella administration that administers the disability benefits. There are federal agency, which in theory, in theory means that you should be able to get the same result no matter what state you're in. And I'll explain to you why that's not accurate, but we'll move on. Um, they make the very first determination as to what's happening. Are you financially eligible? to qualify for SSI or SSDI. In both instances, they're looking at that um, gainful activity, substantial gainful activity, are you able to make $1,470 a month? For SSDI, they're looking to see if you've paid enough money uh, into FICA that you would qualify for a certain amount. So there are two government components that come into play. Social Security Administration, that simply looks at the financial piece. Then Disability Determination Services, or DDS, is the state agency that makes disability decisions for Social Security Administration. That's why I cannot tell you that what I learned in Colorado will apply for you across the country. Some DDS programs are kinder than others. Some are harder than others. 
some are just overwhelmed by their workloads and really uh, would prefer to deny something and let you go to court instead of denying it. And I guess what I want to say is I don't think it's malintent. I do think it's being overwhelmed. And you can imagine the number of applications they get every single day. And so it's very difficult for them to know all this information. They're supposed to be trained in making these medical decisions, but they are not doctors. They are not medical students. They are lay people. They can go to a doctor for some information. In my experience here, that rarely happens. So, so just, so SSDI is administered federally, but your eligibility for disability is through a state agency, right? Right. So the financial component is determined through Social Security Administration, and then the disability piece is looked at by the state agency that's funded by the feds. It's, yeah, I never knew that before I started in this, this world either. So there's four criteria for um, qualifying for uh, the programs. And the one I'm gonna function on is called the functional information, but I'll go through the four pretty quickly. One is unable to engage in substantial gainful activity, that SGA I've talked about, uh, which is $1,470 per month, and that's before taxes. So, you know, they come home with about $900 a month. The other is a medically determinable physical or mental impairment. That condition must be diagnosed by a doctor, not self-diagnosed. And we all know how difficult that is in the mental illness arena. Many of our loved ones refuse to be treated. Uh, number three is duration. It must have lasted for at least 12 months or will last for an additional 12 months. The fourth part is what's called the functional information. And again, that's what I hope to go over today. The applicant must also demonstrate a significant functional impairment related to his or her conditions. So the medical determination part, let me get this out of the way, um, is looking at the functional limitations and assessing whether there's a severe impairment. Again, people that have disabilities still may be very successful in their social lives, in their work lives, be able to work, be able to make um, income. But the problem is for those who really have limited abilities to participate in life, both in the workplace and in their private lives. So what we're gonna be looking at, and if you do have a chance to listen to this again or see it um, in writing, there are four areas that I think are really important for you to keep in mind when we're talking about mental illness. So restrictions of activities of daily living, which I will explain in detail in a moment. Difficulties in maintaining social function is so tough for our loved ones. Difficulties in maintaining concentration, persistence, and pace as they relate to the ability to complete tasks. And episodes of decompensation, which unfortunately many of us are also very aware of. Yeah. Uh, how did they determine the social functioning? I could see where decompensating and daily right. living activities, but how about that? How do they determine that one? Yeah, and I will go through that with you. So oh, we'll you're going to do it, sorry. Yeah. Oh, no, wait. Thank, thank you. you. I appreciate that. So let's talk about this function report for adults. 
it's a 10 page document that will be sent to you if your loved one has already been told financially they qualify because they don't make enough money. So Social Security Administration looks at that very simple question because they have access to our earnings uh, through Social Security Administration. So they know how much money we make. So if they decide, yeah, you're not making enough money, so obviously you do need help from us, then they send it to that state agency, right? The um, Disability Determination Services. And they will, based on the application that the loved one has filled out, they'll start gathering medical records and try and put them together, get an idea of where it's going, what your case looks like. Most states, not all states, so I'm just going to pretend it's all states, but most DDS offices will send out, will paper you with, pepper you with paperwork um, over the next several weeks after they've had a chance to look at the file. And it's because they want to look at the whole picture, right? So for the first time, everybody gets a chance to talk about what that whole picture is. I think I've got a couple of problems with their looking just at the medical. Any doctor that works with our loved ones really is just seeing a snapshot in time, right? They don't right. live with them. They don't deal with them 24 hours a day. They don't see the decompensation. They don't see the unusual behavior. They don't see the, if not self-harm, just kind of sabotaging their lives. So this function report is what is going to fill in the picture. I just ask one thing. So this is a form if your loved one, and by that we usually mean the person diagnosed with the illness, if they're aware exactly. they have an illness, they fill it out, maybe yeah. with the help of someone. Yeah. But what would it take? I know when I applied for my son, I had to get conservatorship before I was able to fill this out on his yeah. behalf because his thought was, I don't have a disability. Exactly. So yeah. in order for, um, if someone's over 18, in order for a family member to fill it out, do they need to be guardian or no. conservator? Um, no. Um, the only reason you would need to do that is if the loved one is unwilling to participate in this at all. So I would tell you, with my son, he might fill it out, but he's like, I don't care about this junk, you do it. So I will explain it. So there is a function report that will come out to the applicant, right? And this is the form that you're seeing is just the first page of the form. Again, it's 10 pages. The first two pages are instructions. I'm just trying to show you what it looks like. That is for the person who actually has the disability. But then there's also one that's called a third party function report for, I would say it would be us, typically the moms, let's face it, we're more in tune with what's going on. Sorry if that was sexist, but I think it's true. Um, <laughs> let's just say it, it, the, the numbers are skewed that way, but there are yeah. plenty of it. There are plenty dads of involved dads, involved. and absolutely, yeah, so. you're so right. <laughs> um, and so there's this other form that parallels exactly the same as the function report that is sent to your loved one. On occasion, they'll send one for you too, but if not, you can find it online at ssa.gov, all you have to do is put in function report adult or third party function report, and you'll be able to pull them up immediately online. Okay. Yeah. So there's five sections to this adult function report. And again, they're exactly the same, whether it's for the love, the applicant, 
or if it's us or a caseworker who's filling it out, for example, but really should be somebody that knows the ins and outs of the applicant. So not just a doctor who's doing that quick hit, but somebody who's spent significant time with them that can discuss in real terms and layman's terms what the um, disabling condition is. So the five sections are um, A through E, general information, just biographical, right? Then B is information about your illnesses, injuries, or conditions. The only thing I'm going to talk about on that today is that schizophrenia rarely is just schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, again, is one of those umbrella issues that has many other pieces underneath it, right? Whether it's OCD, depression, anxiety, um, and there may be physical limitations also, including medications that cause um, dyskinesia, if that's how you pronounce it, or- Art of dyskinesia, yes. Thank you. Or if there's something going off your hands and they tremor or fatigue or weakness. So those are also included within that section B that discusses illnesses, injuries, or conditions. Part C is the one that we'll be talking about very heavily today. It's the information about daily activities. D is information about abilities. I am going to talk about that too after I get done with part C. Part E is the remark section. And the purpose of the remark section is really where you've run out of room for anything you're responding to in A, B, C, or D. You can put it in the remark section. My opinion is there's very rarely enough space in any of this application, and the story is bigger than what SSA thinks it is, so feel free to do an attachment. With each attachment, you need to put in response to question number 20, for example, so they know what they're tying it to. So let's go through a couple of these. I'm not hitting everything. Um, once you know that this is coming, I think it's really important to Google SSA listing of impairments or SSA blue book. These are the medical conditions that SSA looks at frequently in determining what's going on with somebody. So they will give you buzzwords. And I said it last time too, as you know, when you're taking a test in school, whatever you spit out that is the same language the teacher taught you, the better your grade. <laughs> I feel the same way about this. The more you use the language they have put into their paperwork, the more likely they are to understand it and do something with it. So there are 14 chapters of disabilities listed in the impairment section of SSA. And look, I managed to circle number 12, which is mental disorders. So you will click on that and it will take you to various mental disorders. And 1203 is schizophrenia spectrum and other psychotic disorders. They give you a part A, B, and C, and they use several words that they look at to see, oh my, do they fall into the definition as I recognize it? Delusions, hallucinations, disorganized thinking, disorganized behavior, understanding, remembering interacting with others, I would suggest that you print out these couple pages either from the slideshow that you can have access to or just go to the ssa.gov 
and look at these words that they use to be familiar with them, like I have it sitting right next to the downloaded copy that you've made of the adult function report. So you can remember to stick a few of those words in with every question that's asked. So even though it's number 20, so part D, and I told you I was going to hit heavily on part C, but the reason D is so relevant to me personally, I find this the best place to start on this form. And just if you're if you're listening and not watching, section D is information about abilities. It starts right. with things like lifting and squatting, but it goes on to things that are more familiar to us. Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, exactly. It's page eight of the 10 of the um, adult function report. So as Randy just said, a lot of it's physical and don't ignore those because certainly there are times when people have schizophrenia along with other maybe physical disabilities, although I personally think mental illness is physical because our brain is part of that. But we're gonna look at it as physical and mental. So there's like four kind of columns that they go through. The ones that typically, I think when you're dealing just with schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder, memory, completing tasks, concentration, understanding, following instructions, using your hands, getting along with others. So then under that part 20, there's several um, subparts where they're allowing you the opportunity to go into it further. So let me give you an example. Part D says, for how long can you pay attention? There's one line. Uh, that to me doesn't leave me who's supposed to be able-bodied and able-minded to fill it out. There are times where distractions are serious for me, right? And I can't finish anything. So be sure on that type of question, you can say, the majority of time I can pay attention for three hours, but then there are times where I lose it in 20 minutes. Don't let them limit your answer. E is, do you finish what you start? ADHD comes to mind. Mm. Yeah, and they get, you know, if you're not looking, they give you just like one half of a line yeah. to answer these things. So you're saying continued on part E where the remarks are, right? And or continued on. Or on a separate attachment because you're going to be faxing this in. You're not scan, you're not putting it in through the a computer system, a portal or anything. Okay. I have a question. Of course, Mimi. Um, you know, my experience with forms and things like that always be concise be concise because yeah. people aren't going to read it and right. so and boy we have all run into that in terms of mm -hmm. giving information to doctors about our ill huh. kids and yeah. so I just wonder if if it gets really long in terms of what people are filling out do they have to read that or is it going to just get thrown aside of I'm not looking at this I, a good question. This is the most important form that you're going to fill out because it gives an opportunity to see a fuller picture. Um, again, those buzzwords are really important because buzzwords they recognize. In fact, I would go so far as to bold the buzzwords so they can look for that and go, oh, this is something I recognize and, and put their attention there. But because they use this form both to catch us and to allow us to provide the fullest story, I think it is important. Concise in that you're providing relevant information, but for example, let's say for how long can you pay attention? You, you don't wanna say, 
Well, yesterday I was able to pay attention for three minutes. So what you're doing is kind of looking at the typical or worst case scenario, not the best case scenario. And the irony of this doggone form is, let's face it, with mental illness, there's so much denial about what their abilities and disabilities are and what their accomplishments are and their lack of accomplishments. That's why there's a third party disability or function report that we get to participate in. So I always say when your loved one is doing this, let them write whatever the heck they wanna write. If they come to you for help, it's fine to help them, absolutely fine. And then in the remarks section, you are going to write, my son, my daughter, my spouse, my whatever, asked for help. And so this is how I helped them was to listen to what they say. And I wrote it down for them. But if they want to write it, it's fine. They do recognize that those with mental illness are very poor medical historians um, and life historians. And I think it does show that Hmm. extreme difference that they need to take into consideration and it's confirmed by the doctors through the therapy, the treatment, the medications, it, it makes the full picture again. Okay. And so 20, that third party report is extremely oh, important and they do look at it. Oh, okay. they absolutely do. Especially when they see that 20 says, oh yeah, I can do everything. I can lift, squat, bend, stand, read, understand. <laughs> So then they will definitely go to that third party. The so I have a question about the third party. So I've been trying to figure out why did I not do one of these? And maybe I did and I just can't remember 20 years ago. Uh, but on the other wow. hand, when Jim got his uh, qualified for SSDI, which um, when he was close to 30, I think he was 28, we kept him on our insurance and did everything okay. possible to deny that this was going to be a permanent disability. Yeah. Um, but when we finally gave up, um, I he was in a program where he had wonderful staff. They did know him very well. Mm -hmm. So I'm just thinking, you said also a caseworker could do it. I'm thinking yeah. they did it and they knew him well enough and they didn't, I didn't, that's why I didn't know about it. You think so? I think that's possible, Mindy. The other thing that I think is possible from 20 years ago is they may have been willing to accept the medical documentation because he was in a setting where it was more or less total care. And so they may not have needed any of this from you. That, but I, I don't, but I think under this administration, they more readily and more freely provide both forms to families. But it still worries me that that's not the case. And again, it's state by state. And some states are not nice. Other states are nicer. So that's why I really want anybody that's listening to this to go online and pull down the third party report so they can do it, regardless if it's sent to them or not. Okay, so it will always be available. It just may not be sent to you. Exactly. So download it and that's send it great. in, even if they don't ask for it. Exactly. Great, yeah. okay. So the thing uh, that I probably need to back up a little bit, I'm not sure if I said it, because yeah, I've got ADHD and I talk a mile a minute. Um, <laughs> The, the part 20, the information about abilities, to me is the roadmap of how you're going to answer all the other questions and allows you to know what's coming up in all the other um, sections prior to D. You need to be very careful about being consistent when you answer the questions. Like in one place, um, you'll see that they ask about, do you take care of anything like a dog, for example? You need to make sure that you say, 
that you can take care of that, but that doesn't mean you can take care of yourself. Um, it, it, there has to be explanations of how you're able to take care of a dog, but not yourself. So just try and think out of the box a little bit and go, huh, they may think of that and go, oh, this is a typical kid. He can do anything. Um, so for how long can you pay attention? E says, do you fish what you start? Well, hit or miss. If I'm feeling well, if I'm not overwhelmed, if people aren't yelling me or calling me names. Uh, all they put here is yes or no. Uh, exactly. That's all that's on there is a yes yeah. or no. Do you finish what you start? Like and who see, even without a mental illness uh, can give that a clear yes or no? I agree. And right. that's why the story has to be retold or the question has to be written by, rewritten by you or your loved one if they're you know, on a particularly good day where they feel like they're able to share some of this. You know, I think this whole thing is just so discouraging to our loved ones. It's how difficult it is to say, no, I can't do this. I can't do that. Oh, crap, no. Or, um, I, I think it can be a downward spiral. That's why I say to them, don't spend a lot of time on it. Just go through and put no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. I don't think that. Because we don't need them to be in a more difficult season. You can explain that too when you fill out yours, that he was spiraling down. So I encouraged him to just check the boxes and I would do the rest. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just, um, are you going to read these questions out loud so people know what they are? Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. So I'll just do a couple more. How well do you follow written instructions? How well do you follow spoken instructions? You're not hearing voices probably better than when you are, right? How well do you get along with authority figures? But that to me is not really necessarily authority as it is as much as human beings. I mean, I think if you get along with peers, you can probably get along with my experience with my own child. But anyway, those are questions. And again, yes or no, and no room for to say anything. Have you ever been fired or laid off from a job because of problems getting along with other people? That's a dicey question. It seems to me that when you don't perform well, you're not getting along well, right? My son would tell you he's never been fired. He's probably been fired 20 times in his life. Mm -hmm. And he just doesn't get it. It's kind of like, well, I guess it's time for me to go home. <laughs> so, I guess they don't need me today. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I've been they there. don't want me in a month. <laughs> So now we are going to jump back up to section C, um, which is information about daily activities. So D was about abilities. And the daily activities section is really about inabilities. So what we're talking about with daily activities are the things that typically you and I do. We sleep, we brush our teeth, we wash our hair, we shower, we feed ourselves, we go out and pick up the newspaper, we still get newspapers, we go to work, uh, we go to medical appointments, we socialize. Hmm. Unfortunately for our loved ones, there are very few of those, in my opinion, that they consistently participate in. Agreed. So number six, the very first one, describe what you do from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed. Oh yeah. my gosh, and there's three uh -huh. lines. Three lines, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, it would take me more than that. But a couple of things I want to point out to you in relation to that is I don't think any given day is exactly the same for our loved ones. I mean, I I watched that thing where different medications or different stimuli have 
effect on the sleep. So my son, for example, may go to bed at 11. He may go to bed at 3. He may get up at 11 in the morning, but not actually get out of bed until 1. So I think this is definitely one of those that needs supplemental writing. But I think what you do is say, my days vary. Maybe two days a week, if this is accurate. I'm just giving you examples. Two days a week, I find that I am able to go to sleep at 11. But I'm so fatigued, I don't sleep well, so I might not get until 10 in the morning. Takes me an hour to get out of bed. I go downstairs, I have cereal. My mom tells me I smell, so I take a shower. Um, I brush my teeth. I go on the computer and play games. I go to a coffee shop that's only a block away and meet with two other friends. Um, that are like me, so they don't tease me, and we just talk, guy talk, and then I go home. So the thing is to kind of show the the lack of partic participation in life, and how much of those daily activities—brushing your teeth, showering, food, sleep, hair. Um, really go by the wayside unless they're reminded taking their medications. They may have to be reminded or because they don't take medications, they're ordered by the courts to get a shot once a week. Do they show up for that? So think outside the box on this one. Again, I would say, um, and again, I, I know we all want to praise our loved ones, but this isn't the time to praise. The time to look at the typical and the worst days in their lives. Because they uh, want to see those bu buzzwords. They want to see those symptoms. Remember, you're trying to tell the truth. And yes. the truth varies from day to day. But tell exactly. the truth and and get a determination of disability so exactly. that your loved one can have money to live on. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. Um, number 12 in subsection C is also an important one to me because I don't, well, my experience is they really have very little self-consciousness of personal care, which is number 12. So they talk about kind of basic things, dress, bathe, care for hair, shave, feed self, use the toilet. I've highlighted other because, you know, OCD may come in, it come into play where they wash their hands a million times and shower about five times a day. But that's relevant too, because it takes a lot of time out of your day, right? On the other hand, it might be the other extreme where they never bathe. They smell terrible, quite frankly. They look in a mirror and they don't realize their hair is greasier. It needs to be cut. Or they do brush their teeth, but they don't do a good job. So they have five cavities a year. Again, it's looking beyond the question and kind of restating it like, I wonder what they're looking for here. Yep. So that's an important, personal care to me is a big one. I think in mental health issues, that's not uncommon. Number 15 under that part C um, is getting around. How often do you go outside? You need to look at the language here too that has one sentence. Well, I go outside every day, but maybe for just five minutes because I get anxious when I go outside. Or to smoke or, a cigarette. Or pot. Or, or pot. Yeah, or I go outside um, every day and I walk about a block, but then I come back home as soon as possible. I can't. 
I can't tolerate the colors of the grass out there or the sounds I'm hearing. It's a cacophony. So the, too many people is a big one with exactly. our Exactly. And it sounds like such an easy question. It's an easy question to somebody who's typical, whatever the hell typical is, but you know what I mean. So again, think about what that means. Part C within that getting around question is when going out, can you go out alone? Well, can you and for how long can you and can you go to the doctor by yourself can you go to the grocery store by yourself or do you start going down the candy aisle and that's all you buy or the potato chips so you know the applicant may say I can do those things but they're not healthy choices which is where the third party report comes in to me and the, the third the third party report looks exactly, exactly. like this exactly yeah except for it's in the third person. Right. How right. often does your, you know, the applicant go outside, for right. example, or the disabled person go outside? To me, this is a hot topic, and I don't know how you all feel, but number 17 is money. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the allergy um, quandary. So my example is this. Money gets in my son's accounter's hands, and he's allergic to it. He's got to get the hell out of his hands as fast as he can because otherwise he's <laughs> going to get a rash. So but he can't use it wisely. And, it's, and I apologize for saying how all the time. I think it's been a tough six months. Uh -huh. um, we, we understand. We <laughs> totally understand. And some of us are going through it again. So, um, I, And one of the other things I would say is and this is my experience, not only personally, but in working with people with mental illnesses, there seems to be this lack of awareness that there's something beyond today. And mm -hmm. so trying to use money wisely or save it for a rainy day, it's not really a palpable concept, I would say. So I think, you're, and this is the same thing, there's so little space for you to answer anything. And certainly on that third party report, you need to answer it. So how can you help develop a stronger case with the adult function report, either the applicant or in conjunction with you or whoever fills out that third party report, be detailed in your explanations, use attachments, 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 thoroughly probe limitations, um, that you recognize get in the way of your loved ones socializing because impulsivity, smelling bad, anything, or quirkiness. I mean, it doesn't feel good to say our loved ones are weird, but it certainly is a reality. So sometimes you just have to suck it up and say, this is painful for me, but I'm gonna put it. Be consistent with your statements and medical treatment. This one's a little bit dicey in that a, a lot of our loved ones will have schizophrenia and then those other subcategories, but they may not be directly treated for, let's say depression, right? So the doctor might write about, about it, but there may not be specific medication. You can say the main or the, the major diagnosed disability is schizophrenia, but my child also lives with depression that shows like this. And I do not find that to be inconsistent because schizophrenia is such a broad-based mental illness. Um, uh, again, yeah. I have a I have a question. Of course. 
So as you're filling this out, and you know, we we here on the podcast have mentioned many times, if you have someone in your life with a serious mental illness, keep as many records as you can. Hospitalizations, medications, yeah. weird behaviors, ups, downs. Keep a notebook. Mm-hmm. Keep uh, keep a file on your computer, but details, details, details. Yeah. Exactly. Um, where does substance abuse play into this? Do not ignore substance abuse, especially schizophrenia. Um, Social Security Administration recognizes that it's a common self-medication for those with schizophrenia and schizoaffective. Be honest about it because if it shows up somewhere in the medical records, the one thing I would encourage um, you to do is to call the doctors that you have um, mentioned, take care of your loved one, just to say, could you stick a sentence in there? that says with or without use of illicit drugs or pots legal in many states now, but with use of marijuana, they would still have schizophrenia and they would still have a disability because the common reaction from a, a DDS person is, oh, they do drugs. If they just didn't do drugs, they'd be hunky-dory. So it's helpful to have that statement say, yeah, it's true. He does do drugs. It's very common in, in these types of mental illnesses. He'd still be sick even if he wasn't using them. I love that wording. That is like worth its weight in gold okay. along with many other things you said. With or without substances, yeah. he yeah. still shows the symptoms of schizophrenia. I think exactly. that's really and, vital. Thank you. Yeah, and I really that, do. That is huge. I have a question. Maybe uh-huh. you're going to get to this too, okay. but- as Randy said, my son right now is doing really well. And um, I li- we live in fear sometimes that he'll lose his benefits. Do they ever, do people have to only fill these out when you're getting SSDI? Or, you know, in, I know he has reauthorizations up, up the kazoo about every yeah. program and benefit he gets constantly. But um, has anyone ever lost their SSDI? Because Jim, honestly um, cannot work full-time that is too much for him he's totally overwhelmed if he does but he can work up to half time and he does very well but a lot of these functional things now that you're going through um, he can do okay yeah so but he can only do it 20 hours a week do you see what I'm saying? So, and he can only do it if he's on his medication. Right, exactly. Right. And when the stress gets heavier, everything else starts falling away. So, and he can only do it when he's sober and he has relapses. But I worry yeah. during those little windows of time, which oh. now that he's on clozapine, it's actually a longer window, wow. that he will somehow um, not pass these tests. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I would tell you. If... And since all of this time, if you have never had a disability review for him, I think it's highly unlikely you will. Um, So they do disability reviews on occasion under a prior administration. They were doing it every year for the homeless, which knocked everybody out because we couldn't find them. Um, That is not the case right now. We're finding anywhere from four to eight years. But... The older you are, the less likely you are to get a disability review. Um, And schizophrenia doesn't just go away. So I would think there's going to be less chance of that. 
the thing that may trigger a review is if he starts showing the ability to earn that fourteen seventy a month for two or three months in a row, then it may trigger something. And if that's the case, come talk to me and we'll deal okay. with it. Okay. At thirteen dollars an hour, and usually works ten to fifteen hours a week. Probably not yeah, going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with you. So let's go here. So this is kind of a fun part, um, partly because I love getting resources. I think that's my, my strength. Um, and I frequently do this at the end of the family to family uh, program that we do with National Alliance on Mental Illness, because I can't guarantee that anybody's going to get SSI or SSDI benefits. And I think this helps people realize that regardless if they get it or not, there are other avenues to having some supports in place. So I'm going to start with SOAR, which as you all know, I love, love, love. It is a program that's through a federal program through the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. I have given the website, but again, if you just Google S-O-A-R, you'll find the website. And they are an outreach access and recovery program. It's found in all states and the District of Columbia. And what it does is it increases access, not only to social security disability benefits, but it also helps with homelessness, medical issues, co-occurring substance use disorder. And the goal of SOAR is, first of all, to have a tremendously huge success rate which I believe I've been able to apply across the board because of the skills I've learned from them. And they are so well recognized by SSA in the States that seeing that a SOAR provider has actually filled out the paperwork, benefits the person who's homeless or facing homelessness, which let's face it, every one of ours, if they spiral it down without us, are facing homelessness. And so they can get a relatively quick grant, but these programs frequently also have job programs involved, medical care, housing. It's kind of a wraparound service. I do want to say this one quick thing, though. In Colorado, we used to have a SOAR program that I worked for that only did SOAR, only worked with the homeless. Then a funding kind of fell away and it blended with the um, a different program. So they still exist. And I think the person who runs it, it could not be any more knowledgeable. It's with a um, cerebral palsy program, but it still does work with mental illness. But what I want to say is there's a handful of people that are trained in SOAR that work for the mental health centers. They're okay. Hmm. But I'm glad that you're listening to this because I think it gives you equal if not more information that you can encourage them to look at. It's overwhelming. It's just overwhelming for the providers. You know, they're probably getting third-party PTSD and it's right. exhausting. So this is you, this is a resource for everybody to be aware of. Yeah. Uh And I'll put some of these in the show notes as well. Um, just so you know, we have about maybe 10 minutes left. Is I, it... I'm right there. We got all right. Awesome. 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 I'm not ready to be done. 
I'm not ready to be done either, but I just want to make sure I want to dinner would be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think this is a helpful program. And you may find in your state, in fact, that they'd be willing to review that third party report that you're filling out. Um, and I think some of them have really good tricks to accomplish that. So don't write them off, even if you're in the process already. So work opportunities. I love, love, love this program. Another federal program. It's called Ability One. You can learn it about it at abilityone.gov. We frequently call them A1 programs. The cool thing about this program, oh my God, it actually gives your loved one an opportunity to work. And it can either go below or above that $14.70 a month. And it's really based on what their abilities and needs are, okay? This program started in the 1970s. There was finally recognition by Congress that people with significant disabilities or who are blind have a really tough time getting into the workplace or being able to sustain life. And so they started working on all these programs where there was an agreement with the feds that there would be federal employees who would accept workers with disabilities that are provided for and identified by nonprofit state programs. So 75% of the staff, they guaranteed 75% of the annual hours of work will be devoted to those people with disabilities. Obviously, the federal government has a huge breadth of opportunity to have businesses and contracts and to be able to make that available to this group of people. So what I would do, there's several of them in Colorado. I've got a favorite one, however, but um, is look up ability1.gov and find out who the nonprofit program is in your state that does this. Now, for better or worse, I will tell you, and I only say that because I think expectations become a little bit skewed for our loved ones, but in Colorado, if you do get one of these jobs through this nonprofit program, you are paid a certain amount by the feds. And then in Colorado, I can't say it's across the board, they pay $5 on top of it. So an hourly wage in Colorado, $21 an hour. Imagine the amount of hours for somebody who struggles being in that setting. You could work 10 hours or 15 hours a week, feel incredibly successful, get that $14.70 a month and be proud of yourself. Wow. I always encourage people to make sure their loved ones are working because it's really good to be part of life. So okay. I love this program. And I've just learned about in the last two years um, through a class I'm teaching to a Spanish speaking program. So go for it. <laughs> so it's ability O-N-E, just so uh, if you're listening, yeah. it's not ability numeral one. I never even heard of this. So that's pretty Me well. either. Hmm. Okay. There's something either. like 45,000. I'm, I'm checking out Minnesota built. right now. And oh, I did good. check out SOAR. And we are one of those states that applies it only to people who are uh, homeless, apparently. Is it homeless or facing homelessness? Because I think- Yeah, homeless expect... or facing homelessness. So I think that's a really broad description. Again, Mindy, I would say 
our children are one step away from at any moment being homeless. And they, and my experience in working for SOAR in Colorado, we accepted that. The recognition that's one paycheck away or, or one, you know, goofed up check through the government because they're going through some kind of problem with reconciliations, right? So don't write them off. It's still worth that phone call. And many, many of them, excuse me, many of them actually teach classes on it. So you can get a hands-on help with the applications. Good to know. Wow. So providing for our loved ones, I will do this really quickly. There's three that I just want to touch on. I'm not an expert. I would just tell you from my own personal experience. There's the ABLE program, A-B-L-E, full trusts and trust funds. So A-B-L-E stands for Achieving a Better Life Experience Act. And um, it was passed in 2014, recognizing that our loved ones are encouraged to remain in poverty. And because they're limited in what type of funds they can get from people, you know, you could give somebody um, grocery money and it will impact the amount of SSI they could receive. So ABLE comes along and allows somebody to have $100,000 in their account, can put in $15,000 a year, totaling $100,000. Anything over $100,000 does get counted against them for SSI. But up to $100,000, it doesn't matter if you help them with housing and food, which is one of those things that typically you have to rely on the government's, you know, $700 a month to cover. So ABLE accounts are wonderful. I think you will find them in all states. Um, it's definitely worthwhile looking around because different states have different ABLE accounts. You may like some better than others. And there are so many things. It was Down Syndrome Association were the first to come out with ABLE account um, explanations. But I, the ARC, all of those programs are very involved in providing you some guidance. My intent with these slides is simply to give you names and uh, words to give to your financial planner, your uh, trust and estates person, just to see how they can help you making those decisions. So it's ablenrc.org. Yeah. I've, I've, I've never I, heard of this either. I have to say, we have finally hit upon one that the Grylings have used, and it is a it. beautiful program, and it believe is. it or not, I found out about it because being on our local NAMI affiliate board, a man with schizophrenia and actually autism as well, brought it up to our board, and we advocated for it with our county, and then all of us uh, made sure our family members signed up, but it took a man with schizophrenia to educate us. Mindy, I would tell you that somebody who's on SFDI versus SSI, it's different in different states, but kind of the average is $300,000 for somebody on SSDI. That was that thing I said about early on, that those who are on SSDI have a uh, a, a greater grace to be able to get some programs available to them that are not available to SSI. So you might want to check in on that one. For SSI, it's a cap of 100,000. The ABLE accounts for SSDI can be higher. Wow. And I will add that uh, we're aware that many people want to know about trusts while we're here, mm -hmm. but trusts 
after we're here. I'm right. We're going to find some expert. Maybe Danny, you can recommend someone to us at some point and do a whole a whole show on trusts themselves. Okay. But this sure. is a good start. And thank you so much for this. So you got you got um, another okay. slide two here. Special slides. needs. And okay, two more resources. I love it. So these are called pooled trusts. Um, it's the website that I've used. But again, you can look up pooled trusts. P O O L E D as in everything's thrown into the same pool, um, to see what you have in your state. Like in Colorado, we have several programs that participate in that. We have one that's a full wraparound system that I really like because they'll step into the, your shoes when we die. They will be the payee. If your loved one gets kicked out of an apartment, they'll help you find housing in addition to taking care of the trust that you've created. So a pool trust really allows all the funds to go into one trust fund. And as a result, because there's a, a bigger number of people participating, a bigger pool of money, it costs less to administer it, which can be a real problem. Uh, the cost of using a bank or a private fiduciary can really take a lot of sales for your loved one. I know we don't have that kind of money. So, um, and it also de decreases the administrative fees, like some of them, it'll be $120 to buy into the program. Others will be $1,200, so it's worth looking at. But types, mm -hmm. these trusts are particularly good for families who have $250,000 or less. Again, because it can be very exorbitant to use a bank fiduciary or trustee or um, a private program. And I think it's also a good program for those of us who don't want our other children to take this task on because I think it can ruin relationships. That's my personal opinion. You have to do what's best for you. No, I, I think the one in Connecticut, I think we did an episode on it, Planned Lifetime Assistance Network or something. Plan P-L-A-N, sounds like. I think it is the same. Yes, I think it is part of that pooled program. Because I remember talking with you about that previously. Mm -hmm. So spendthrift trusts or provisions, it's not really, it depends where you are, but let me explain to you the benefit. Um, in any trust that you get for your loved one, it is my understanding based on my own experience, not my legal expertise, that if the money goes directly to your loved one, it counts against, against them for purposes of the benefits they receive. There has to be a trustee who distributes it somewhere. It cannot apply for their food and it cannot apply for their housing. It can be used for anything else, medical, schooling, vacations, computer, bicycle, toenail clipping, anything, okay? But these spent, so the language is more important than whatever it would be titled. It can be a special needs trust, it can just be a trust, a spendthrift trust, this was critical for us, again, on that thing about money, because our son cannot handle money. This is critical for us that there be a provision within our trust that says that the beneficiary, the, the child or the, the individual with the disability does not have direct access to the money. They can't push it off to somebody that wants the money. This is the beauty of it, nor can the creditors touch it. So when your loved one screws up and enters into some kind of contract, can't get blood from a turnip and they can't get it from the trust. So, so this is a spendthrift trust. Yeah, or a spendthrift provision. 
And again, it doesn't have that exact language. It doesn't have to have that exact language. But for an attorney to understand what your goal is, that creditors can't access it and your loved one can't directly access it, is how you deal with that. Wow. I think we just did have an expert on trust. Oh. I think it's you. <laughs> and that's the end. That is so huge wow. because so often people um, like our sons are victimized. And if someone knows they have money, um, yep. it's soon gone. Yes. And I think it's also important if they get into relationships and you do need to talk to your state attorney about this trust. Um, I hear a dog whining back there. Um, trusts are um, treated differently if there's like a divorce or something. So do make sure that they're protected from uh, a partner that may try and claim part of the trust. But wow. that would be a state decision. This this has been amazing. My mind is just blown by by all this and you know uh, Danny is my cousin I just figured I'd throw that in I'm so I'm so proud of you we were once little girls together when we were able to get together (laughs) two talented relatives that's for sure well thank you and I have pages of notes you can see (laughs) and And you know you can always send me questions and anybody who's listening to this podcast or sees it feel free to send it through to the um, three moms and I will answer the best I can on the things I feel qualified to answer. Okay. So if you want to reach Danny, reach her through me, Randy at randyk.com. And Danny, if anybody wants a copy of the slides, could I send that along to them? Absolutely. Danny, this has been amazing and so educational. We ran a little over our hour, but I think it was worth it. No, I think it was worth every minute. Um, every minute every minute and we all need to be educated and you are the best thank you so so much for my pleasure thanks you guys for letting me hey thanks for joining us for this episode of schizophrenia three moms in the trenches with randy k mindy greiling and miriam feldman to get in touch with us or to learn more about our books, please visit our websites at miriam-feldman.com, mindygreiling.com, or randyk.com.